This is a Woodside Church podcast. I can now wipe the sweat off my brow. Uh, This is the first time, uh, I'm one of the last ones to do this, I've done what I call the do-do-do. which is preaching in all three services at Woodside in one Sunday morning. Because when I preached before, um, uh, we were here for the whole time in the morning because uh, we had an afternoon meeting over in the West due to uh, a prior booking over at the hall that we use. And uh, so, but, you know, anxiety must creep in somewhere. And it did. Uh, Early hours of the morning. uh, You know you get those stupid dreams when you know something's looming and coming up. Well, I have one of those. Uh, and the dream was, I was here in the nine o'clock service and joined the worship, but I was so anxious to make sure I, didn't, I got to the West in time to preach. As soon as the worship finished here, I dashed off. <laughs> Forgetting to preach here, you see. And then I looked, this is in the dream, it was a dream. It didn't actually happen. No, no, no this is a dream. Uh, but I'll just let you know. Uh, and then I, then I look at the time and I think, oh, I've got loads of time. So then I, then I think, well, I, I could go. And I, I went into a cafe, a fictitious cafe I've never seen before. Uh, and then I realised I'm starting to miss the next one. <laughs> but I'm also thinking, what on earth are Martin and Ruth going to be doing? Because I realised at that point that I've missed the preach here. And the feeling of dread and horror is all over, you know. <laughs> anyway, we've done it. Um, even though as I was parking, I did panic because Pam and Corina were on their way out. I said, is it finished? They said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> Pam was playing bass, she was leading the worship. You know, so, so anyway, my dream was not fulfilled, thank God. Praise him, hallelujah. Uh, and uh, all, is, all is well. Catherine would have loved to have been here, but uh, uh, as it is in the West, so many people are serving. She's uh, her, one of her serving roles is setting out all the communion and although she's raising up others to do it that the process is still happening and uh, it's communion today so I mean good thing that we had communion today and, uh, and we nicked Rach Clements today so Rach was leading worship thank you so much uh, and I just, just heard the tail end from the car park of what sounded like some wonderful worship going on uh, so Woodside Church uh, we are on the move uh, in literally Uh, in more ways than one, and uh, praise God. If you're uh, relatively new to the church here, um, my name, and I've not met you before, my name is Tim, uh, Tim Green, uh, one of the leaders here, and uh, really thrilled that you're here. And uh, so that's good. Now, I'm not going to relax too much, otherwise we'll run out of time here. Um, But it's uh, really... Good to, if I've not met you before, that's uh, who I am. My name is Tim. So it's my privilege to launch and introduce uh, our Easter series, which is going to take place over three weeks, four meetings, three weeks. Um, and we're calling it Mark His Words. It's a uh, play on words because we're looking at the last three chapters in the Gospel of Mark, 14, 15, 16, just excerpts from different ones. Um, of those chapters each week and um, the play on words is this it's Mark the gospel writer his words so in other words we're looking at the words of the gospel writer Mark in the scripture 
um, over this series, what he says about the death and resurrection of Jesus, the events around it. But also, you know, if any parents uh, amongst us uh, will be well aware there are certain times when one of the children just goes slightly on the edge of things, you know, but, you know, almost near the mark, and you have to give them a warning, and you just say something like, now you mark my words. Uh, and, and that's the other thing. You know, mark his words, Mark's words. You, you know, take note of what Mark has to say about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because these words give us the secret of eternal life. These words reveal to us how deep and costly God's love through Jesus was towards us. They're words of salvation. They're words of grace. They're words by which we can be saved, forgiven, come into relationship with God the Father through Jesus who died and who rose again. It's a wonderful thing. The gospel, the good news, is just a wonderful thing. And over the next three weeks, uh, we're going to be uh, looking, first of all, uh, Mark 14, uh, entitled Prepared for Burial. Um, and looking at this story of the woman who pours perfume over Jesus. The next week, Hudson's going to be here. He's going to do the da-da-da. Um, and uh, he's looking at the crucifixion, dead and buried. Uh, and then on Good Friday, when the whole church, we can gather together as many as want to, on Good Friday morning, we're going to have communion together, and we're going to focus on uh, Mark 14 again, the Last Supper. And then after that, Easter Sunday is a great crescendo. Martin's going to be preaching from Mark 16, entitled Death Defeated, the resurrection of Jesus himself. So Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 11, prepared for burial. Now, just a bit of background. Uh, just a few, this is just a few days now before Jesus is crucified. And uh, in Jerusalem, where Jesus now is, he's come to Jerusalem, um, is a time of festival, the Passover festival, when thousands would gather from across the nation to celebrate this annual feast, which I'll talk about in just a moment as we go through our reading. Um, and uh, so crowds were gathered. And Jesus was regularly, on a daily basis, teaching in the temple courts. And then during the evening, would retire back to Bethany, which was a small village two miles east of Jerusalem, where he would uh, rest, um, relax and sleep before going back to Jerusalem the next day. And so the story unfolds with a scene behind the scenes in Jerusalem where a conversation is being had, not the first time this conversation's been had, but an ongoing conversation between the religious leaders and the chief priests, teachers of the law. And we read in uh, verse 1 of Mark 14, It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. And the leading priests and teachers of the religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed. Or the people may riot. Remember, I already said huge numbers of people gathered in Jerusalem for this particular time. Now, just a comment on the Passover, because I'm aware not everybody may be familiar with what that was all about. And others of us, it's always good to be reminded that 1,500 years before the life and time of Jesus, the people of Israel, they were looking back at a time, 1,500 years before, when the uh, people of Israel were in slavery in Egypt under great, terrible, dark oppression, and they were crying out to God for freedom. 
And through Moses, God brought the message again and again to the leader, the Pharaoh, of, uh, leader of Egypt at that time, who was the greatest of all the oppressors. And the message was this, let my people go. And through a series of plagues and the uh, uh, Pharaoh's uh, saying, okay, I'll let them go, and then changing his mind again last minute. Um, in the end, we get to the tenth and the deadliest of all the plagues that hit Egypt. And it was this, that a certain night designated by God would be a night that would bring grief across, across the whole country. A night when the firstborn son in every household would die, would be killed simultaneously across the whole land. But he told the people of Israel, his own people, through Moses, he gave them instructions and said, for you, I will pass over you and this will not happen to you on one condition that you... Find a lamb, a year old, perfect and spotless, that you sacrifice that lamb, and then that you uh, prepare and eat the lamb with bitter herbs and uh, with unleavened bread, and that you uh, keep your clothes on because you're going to have to escape after this uh, during the night, and that uh, you should... uh, plaster the uh, lintel of the door and the two doorposts with the blood of that lamb that you kill. And when I see the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and on the lintel, then I will pass over you and nothing shall harm you. And that's exactly what happened. And the people of Israel then, uh, families intact, firstborn sons, absolutely fine, uh, left Egypt, Pharaoh let them go. And then God opened up the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness, and there the story through the book of Exodus unfolds. This is the feast that people are gathered to celebrate. And they would reenact the story um, uh, as, as the way that God had actually saved them. So, meanwhile, back to Bethany, where Jesus was. It would have been in the evening. He was at the home of Simon a man who'd previously had leprosy. And while he was eating, this was an interruption, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Now in the autumn, some of you will be aware that Catherine and I had the privilege of visiting Israel. Uh, and uh, one of the amazing places we'd love to revisit is the museum in Jerusalem. And uh, if you keep moving it on, there's a, a, the, the jar on the right is an alabaster jar. Actually, uh, it's lasted all this time. It was from t- uh, three or four hundred years before the life of Christ, so it would have been around then. Uh, and it wasn't that small, actually, but it was uh, this alabaster jar, probably about this high, Um, and uh, full, you imagine it, full of perfume. And the lady comes in to the house, to the room where where Jesus is eating, reclined at table with uh, what would have been traditionally a whole group of men. We know from John 12, a number of his disciples, including Judas, and obviously their host as well. And she literally broke the neck of the uh, alabaster jar and poured the ointment. Uh, or the perfume, rather, from uh, over his head. And you imagine the aroma that would have filled not just the room, but the house. And it would have stayed on Jesus uh, in particular, but uh, uh, across the house. 
Now, this uh, actually incurred wrath rather than joy on the part of those who were eating with Jesus. And we carry on reading through this passage. Some of those um, at the table were, were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. Well, strong words. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You'll always have the poor among you and you can help them whenever you want to. Problem is they didn't always want to. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. What a remarkable statement. Because here we are in Bedford 2019 in the month of April and we're remembering this story just as Jesus then said would happen. Isn't that remarkable? Uh, and do you know what? <clears throat> no small deed that you do gets unnoticed by God when you do for him. And you never know how significant it might be. But this woman, who we'll look at in a minute, just lavished her devotion on Jesus at this point. And... Then we just go on to the story where it says this, that Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests to arrange to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted when they heard why he'd come. And they promised to give him money. So he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Now we're going to look um, at three uh, people in this story. Firstly, God, what was he doing? Secondly, the woman, what she did. And then lastly, us, our response. So, God. You see, the death of Jesus was God's plan. He was in charge. And it's all over this story, you see the hand of God. And God unfolding his purposes, leading Jesus towards the cross. And then, of course, his resurrection. You see... Jesus' enemies were planning, we read at the beginning of this chapter, to kill him, but not during the Passover because of the crowd. They didn't want a riot. But God planned that the Lamb of God that takes away our sin would be killed at this time of year. And God had his plan come about because he was in charge. And Jesus knew what was about to happen. In fact, on the way to Jerusalem this week, in Mark 10, we read that he'd been telling his disciples, and not for the first time, that just days before, uh, uh, ahead of them, he would be betrayed, arrested, killed, and then on the third day, he would rise again. But the disciples didn't get it. However, the woman in this story did get it. And she had heard and believed that Jesus was to imminently die. And here was her chance to do something. And Jesus explicitly said, verse um, in, uh, 8, that she, what she has done, uh, she has done what she could. 
and has anointed my body, or some versions say prepared my body for burial, ahead of time. Now this was also a means by which God was able to give encouragement to Jesus. You see, he knew, Jesus knew. And I don't know what it's like for you, but there are times, and I know many of you, and know that many of you have been through difficult, tough times from time to time. And the story that often comes from you, and I learned so much, and we've had our own experiences of the same, is when you go through difficult times, so often, for those who are in Christ, the story is something like, but it's almost like God prepared us ahead of it and gave us the strength that we needed to go through that difficult time. And, you know, there was this word that we read in the scripture, or God just drew near, or he just gave me, gave me a remarkable peace that I don't normally have. See, God prepares us and is with us in difficult times. And when Jesus here um, is anointed by the woman, one of the things that was happening was God was confirming, yes, you're being prepared for burial. You're going to die soon, but I'm with you. And this is my purpose. And God the Father saying to God the Son, the plan is now being unfolded. And he knew it, but had that encouragement in his heart. And so as it uh, carries on, uh, we see that the woman got it, and uh, she uh, uh, was... uh, her action actually triggered the course of events that God had planned. You see, because the woman poured the uh, perfume uh, worth a year's wages over Jesus, Judas was one of the ones who was indignant and who maybe even he as well scolded the woman. This was the last straw. Not just what the woman did, but Jesus' response to it. She'd done a good thing. You know, not the poor, well Judas wasn't that bothered because we also read about Jesus, Judas that he used to pilfer from the purse that they kept to help the poor. So, but it, it was the last straw. And he there and then decided to go and betray Jesus, which is what he did. And of course that led to Jesus' arrest, to his trial, to his crucifixion, and then of course to his resurrection. The part that the woman played was an important part in the whole thing. And we never know, I've said it already, but we never know just how a little thing that God leads us to do might have huge significance in some way. Not like the woman quite, but in other ways, for other people in other situations. Never despise days of small things. Days when God just leads you to do something for him. You never know the big implication that potentially might have. And when Peter was preaching uh, to the people on the day of Pentecost, he made it very clear that God had purposed all of this. You see, he said this, but God knew what would happen and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. You see, the cross was not an accident. Romans 5, 6, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. God's timing is perfect. It was perfect then. And by the way, for you and for I, it always is perfect. And we can trust in him. 
There was a, a, a church that my family were in when I was in my late turns, teens, early 20s, different, um, and uh, there was a, an old elderly man in that church um, that, in conversation with my dad, my dad was aware of it, um, he, he, he said how he hated Good Friday. It always made him so depressed. He hated thinking about what they did to Jesus and all that he went through. Now, of course, it's terrible what they did to Jesus and all that he went through. But he was seeing it from a human perspective, not from God's. And uh, he'd forgotten that Good Friday is called Good Friday. Because it was God's purpose and plan that Jesus should be crucified. And Jesus willingly faced the cross and all that he should suffer and died, knowing that on the third day he would be, he would be raised for the, from the dead for the joy set before him, which is the salvation of you and me and millions and billions of others throughout history and in this world today. Hallelujah. And that dear elderly gentleman had forgotten that this was God's plan and his timing. And that's why when we come to Good Friday in, a, in a, a couple of weeks' time, it's a good day when solemnly we think of all that Jesus did for us, but gladly we embrace it and we're glad for all that he has done because it has totally changed everything for us. So that's God at work. But then we see the woman and the woman and Jesus. You see, the woman, Jesus said, was looking forward to the cross as she poured perfume over Jesus. She has done what she could, said Jesus, and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. She expressed lavish devotion to Jesus. I mean, it wasn't a little bit of perfume. It was the whole alabaster jar full of it. She didn't care what others thought of her act. She was willing to face criticism and misunderstanding. She showed him lavish devotion. It was costly sacrifice that she showed for Jesus. It was worth a year's wages. She could have done an awful lot with that particular substance if she had gone and sold it. It would have cost somebody, if not her, somebody else, a great deal of toil and work in order to earn that money by which it could have been purchased in the first place. It was commonly something that was used to treat bodies after they had died. But it was a very costly thing and she poured it out on Jesus in readiness for what was about to happen costly sacrifice but also she expressed deep gratitude to Jesus through that act she was almost thinking this might be my only chance it's a bit like uh, I've had the privilege of doing uh, uh, taking a number of uh, funerals over the years as a pastor and um, one of the conversations that sometimes takes place after the funeral has taken place and people are just having their refreshments and loved ones will sometimes say, oh, those tributes were wonderful. I wish we told the loved one who's now deceased some of the things we mentioned today when they were alive. And this woman didn't want to miss out in pouring out her lavish love upon him while she still had the opportunity. And so Jesus replied, "What? Well, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing? It was a good thing that she did to me. No one told the woman to do this act. It was her heartfelt response to him. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when you think of worship, um, let's just think about when we gather for a minute. I wonder if we often think of it as giving Jesus lavish devotion, costly sacrifice, and deep gratitude. But they're not bad definitions of what worship is when we come. And for some of us, I mean, we, we can be very outward uh, in uh, the way that we express our worship. Uh, I can remember when I was uh, in my mid-teens, in, uh, so we, our family moved around so much, there's different churches, different eras, but a, a church where uh, it was a Baptist church, and, um, uh, which suddenly came alive in the things of the Spirit in the late 60s. The pastor who'd, who'd newly come, his name was David Pawson, who became a very famous Bible teacher. Uh, worldwide um, and his teaching was outstanding uh, but he also taught about Pentecost and about being filled with God's spirit and the church came alive and more and more people were coming and it was quite amazing and there was a little lady in the early stage of all this uh, sitting in the balcony always in the same sort of area who every, you know, every so often go praise the Lord <laughs> hallelujah and I thought it was weird and I said to my mum I said who's that lady? What's she doing? Never heard anything like this before. And she said, oh, she used to be a Pentecostal. But now she comes to our church and Mr. Pawson likes that kind of thing. I'll tell you what, Jesus likes that kind of thing. Because when it comes out the fullness of a heart that's showing lavish devotion to him, then hands can raise, feet can dance, voices can sing, And we're giving ourselves afresh to God in lavish devotion. Oh God, may there be loads of that in God's church, wherever God's church is, including here. But it's not just when we gather together. You see, coming on to us, our response to Jesus, unlike the woman who was looking forward to the death of Christ, not looking forward in terms of, you know, oh, isn't that wonderful, but looking forward thinking he's going to be lost, Now we're looking back knowing he also was raised from the dead. And we know the implications and we're learning them even more uh, as we go through life for the implications of Jesus' death and resurrection. And for us, our lavish devotion to him, and we're moving on to us, if uh, you can just move move that on uh, just a moment. Uh, And just leave it there because I'm going to, just for sake of time, I'm going to just encapsulate everything else I want to say without following the notes. But for us, our lavish devotion for Christ is a response to God's lavish devotion to us in what he has done. I mean, I have got time just to read from Ephesians 1. And I'd like to do that for us, just to see what he has done for us. And if uh, you could find, uh, if we could just find uh, that particular. See, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. But Ephesians 4 to, uh, 1, 4 to 8, just as I read through this, just look how lavish God's love towards us is. For Even before he made the world, God loved us, that's you and me, and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. That's not bad, is it? What's not to like about that? And God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. 
So we praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of the son of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. It's like the reverse of what the woman did to Jesus, Jesus has done to you and me. He has poured so much upon us, lavishly. What devotion Jesus has for you and what devotion he has for me. And our heart's response, inspired by the woman, is in turn to express lavish devotion to him. And it's not just when we're in corporate worship, but it's right through life. And I think in the the worship, there was prophetic words about losing our life for him in order to gain it. Romans 12.1 talks about our uh, uh, sacrifice of our bodies in life being our spiritual worship. And in many ways, uh, as you go to work in the morning and you just want to honour God and you want to live in integrity, and you want to make godly decisions, and you want to be loving and kind to others around you because you want him glorified and him honoured, you're lavishing love and praise on him. And in many other ways, as you're thinking of him, as you're meditating on him, as your mind is set upon him, you see, the woman was thinking about Jesus is going to die. We're now looking back and thinking, he did die for me. And he rose again. And it's so important to keep the main thing the main thing. You see, the disciples, as they sat around, and the people that sat around in the house of Simon the leper with Jesus, when the woman came and poured the perfume on top of uh, Jesus' head, and it poured out all over him, um, the, the, the disciples had forgotten even the story of the Passover. That they were about to celebrate in two days' time. They were familiar, and they knew about that. Because in the story of the Passover, as the people of Israel uh, were set free and there was no harm done to the firstborn sons, as they went through the Red Sea, the first thing they did under the leadership of Miriam with tambourines and with dancing, they praised God. And you can read the words in, in the book of Exodus. With all of their heart, they were so full of joy for what God had just done. He'd saved them. He'd delivered them. He'd set them free. He'd filled them with joy. He's our saviour. He's our, oh, this is so fantastic. And within a few months, they'd forgotten all about it, and they were moaning about the food and grumbling about living in the wilderness. The pressures of life had pressed them in to forget what the main thing was, which was God had saved them. And the disciples, those gathering around in this meal with Jesus, were just like them. Because the woman who saw it, who knew that Jesus was going to die, poured the lavish devotion upon him. All they could do is criticise and judge, moan, groan and complain. And you know, sometimes, because some of them were disciples, we as Christians can be more like those disciples than the lady. It's the pressure of life. It's the responsibilities that we carry. It's the things about the job right now or the house that needs doing or, or, or the awkward relative or whatever it happens to be. And those things can press us in and stop us from thinking about the main thing, which is Jesus died for me. 
And he died to forgive me. And he died to set me free. And he died to give me abundant life. Jesus said, I come to give you life and give it abundantly. He came to forgive me. He came to give me relationship with the Father. He came to give me eternal life. And everything else in life is just an added extra compared with the main thing which we've been celebrating as we had communion today. So let us this Easter... Let us, as we carry on, deepen our gratitude to him. Not count the cost as we follow him. The one who, as he shared the bread with his disciples at the Last Supper, said, this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you, for the forgiveness of many. Let us focus on him, the main thing. Let our love get bigger. Let our focus become clearer. Let our roots go deeper. And let us find by the end of the season, do you know what? We've already grown in love with Jesus even more than we were before we started. Why don't we stand and pray? Father God, we thank you for the inspiration of a woman who expressed through the breaking of an alabaster jar perfume all over your head in preparation for your burial Lord Jesus inspire us to be like her inspire us because of your lavish devotion poured upon us that we would also be those in life when we gather and when we separate to our ordinary everyday lives that we would be those who pour out lavish devotion to you Lord, let praise well up, let joy well up, let our focus and attention well up to you in all that we do, in our hearts, in our attitudes, in our lives. Let it be that way for us. As we consider again the costly sacrifice, Jesus, we lay down our lives afresh for you. Like the hymn writer of, when I survey the wondrous cross, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life my soul, my all. And Lord, deepen our gratitude, we pray, in these days for all that Jesus has done for us through his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection. Just do it, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.